Yes, hello everyone. The international series is in the rearview window. Let's talk all about it. This is the Full 10 Yards NFL podcast. Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14 Yard NFL podcast. Yeah, six weeks down into the season, London behind us. Um, still plenty of football to look forward to. There are 11 more weeks on the schedule. You'll know if you listened in last week that Josh is on holiday this week. Hope you're enjoying Romania, buddy. But we have a more than capable replacement coming in off the subs bench. Callum, evening, buddy. Welcome to the podcast. Nice to have you on board, mate. Thank you very much. I remember many coaches of mine telling me I was an incapable substitute, so I appreciate uh, the compliment and you um, bringing in, uh, stepping into uh, Josh's very large shoes, but I um, hope to do a decent job for you guys. I'm sure you will indeed, mate. I'm sure you will. And that leads me to my regular buddy in crime. Steve, how you doing, fella? It is a sad day for Eagles fans this week, because as, as listeners of the pod will know, my uh, my favourite Zach Ertz has finally been traded to the Arizona Cardinals, um, drafted by the Eagles in 2013. Uh, after Lane Johnson, that's quite a draft for the Eagles, who don't usually draft very well. Lane Johnson in the first, Zach Ertz in the second. Uh, finally draft, uh, traded away to the Cardinals, probably going to go there and compete in the in the playoffs. So I don't bemoan him all. Hell of a career in, in Philadelphia. Sad to see him go, but yeah, the, uh, the train rolls on in Philadelphia without him. It does, mate. And we kind of almost accepted he was going to stay an eagle, so there you go. I did like that little meme that he went to bed two and four and woke up five and now. That's a pretty good uh, that's a that's a pretty good NFL career for you, isn't it? Apparently there was it. some controversy because some people had him in their fantasy teams and he'd already played and yet they wanted him to be available again <laughs> and, and oh so all sorts of stuff. But yes, he uh, he goes on to a much more successful team this season. He does indeed. And we'll get on to it, mate. They didn't need him Sunday night. They had more than enough. We'll get on to that, though, as we get through the uh, the podcast, I'm sure. Let's start off then, fellas. Let's start in London. That's what started the weekend off, got to say. Certainly speaking from experience, I had an absolutely fantastic weekend. Um, didn't really appeal much, to be honest, when the games came out. I think a lot of people have complained about the fact that we ended up with four pretty poor teams, certainly from a record perspective. Um, I certainly think when it was announced, nobody predicted the Dolphins would be sitting with just one win um, at the time of coming over. Um, you know, But in general terms, I thought the actual experience was, was phenomenal. The stadium, if you haven't been and you're a fan of the NFL, do try and get yourself some tickets next year. Um, the, the, the in-game experience, I thought, was fantastic. Yes, it was marred a little bit by a couple of incidents. Obviously, we had the idiot running on the field at the start of the game, um, which was probably more of a concern than the stuff that happened in terms of the the beer being thrown around. Um, I think that was done more in jest than it certainly was done in any sort of aggressive um, nature. Although, obviously, you know, not downplaying if you did get hit by one. I got hit by one um, on the back of my uh, neck. Um, like I say, I certainly wasn't feeling for my life, though. I think it was more in playfulness than anything else. 
but a fantastic weekend. So, you know, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Took the wife down there for the weekend. Went some uh, friends who took their first game in, and I know, um, you know, that they really enjoyed it as well. Um, so, you know, big shout out to, to my friends for actually encouraging me to get tickets. So thanks to uh, Mike, Rachel, Alan and Neil, because um, I probably wouldn't have gone without them this weekend. But enough about the experience, Callum. Obviously, should have mentioned at the start, you are a Dolphins fan. Probably not the week you would therefore want to make your podcast debut with us. But uh, let's let's talk the game itself. Started pretty well for Miami. Um, you know, two have moved the ball at will on that first drive. And you thought, here we go. This is going to be... Uh, a good afternoon but it then became a little bit of a game of attrition and ultimately the Jags found a way to get it done in the end mate yeah you're absolutely right I mean I I went into into Tottenham on uh, on Sunday morning with absolutely no thought that I was going to be leaving with anything less than a victory I, I hadn't considered it to be completely frank with you um I, I I felt like the Dolphins were unlucky to only have one win going into Tottenham and I now feel like we're an absolute shambles of a team uh, coming out of Tottenham. Um, you know, it, it's a game of inches and margins and, you know, fourth and one and you you don't get it with Malcolm Brown. And, you know, give credit to the kicker. Um, you know, feels like they've, you know, picked him out of their, their back office. He was probably, you know, typing on a computer last week and now he's kicking game-winning field goals. So it's... Uh, it's a bit of a killer uh, for a Dolphins fan. It took me a few minutes of silence to uh, recom- recompose myself after the final kick went in. Um, the game winner is not the one I have a problem with. The one that tied the game, that started out in West London and ended up <laughs> through the arches, um, there was absolutely that had no right to go in. Um, you're right. Tua's opening drive was fantastic. He, he started really well, moved the ball, um, and you know ended with a with a nice touchdown for Jalen Waddle, which was was a really good sign. I mean, Waddle and Gasicki are the two massive positives to come out of the game um, for very obvious reasons. Um, we still can't run the ball ever. Um, and, you know, a, a season that had a lot of promise going into it, and I was very optimistic, genuinely. I thought we're definitely the second best team in the AFC East. Um, and we may still find a way to end up that way if Flores gets the defense together. Um, but it's been very, very disappointing through six weeks, to be completely frank. And Sunday was, you wish you could say it was an aberration, but it, it feels like perhaps where this team is right now. Not that we weren't missing players, you know, Devontae Parker helps, but Xavier Howard is obviously a far bigger miss. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it really was a tough one to take. Yeah, I mean, we didn't obviously get the pleasure of the commentary in the stadium, but uh, I thought Kevin... I mean, everybody knows I love Kevin Harland. The the call for that field goal was just fantastic. Like you say, it started off like 15 yards wider. The uprights and still managed to find its way in. So it was a... a He aimed for Wembley and still made it, you know. Fair play to him. Fair play to him. It was a good kick. I mean, Steve, I know you obviously didn't go, um, obviously, to the game, but in terms of the game, obviously, from a Jags perspective, Let's talk them a little bit. Obviously, broke um, the second longest losing streak in NFL history at 20 games, uh, leaving only Detroit now with a chance of being 0-17. Um, so, we said that the Jags might fall into that. We said that the Texans might. They've both got the uh, the win on the board. I was actually quite impressed with Trevor Lawrence. Um, thought he showed great composure. Um, you know, I think there was one 
I think it was it the fumble. He held the ball a little bit too long, but you know rookies do that from time to time. But it was a really composed performance. James Robinson decent enough again on the ground, seventy three yards from seventeen carries. Certainly much more on the ground than what the Dolphins um, put up. You know. Positive signs, I would suggest, there for Jacksonville after a couple of really tricky weeks, particularly off the field. I've uh, I've seen a couple of people suggesting that can we just consider Jacksonville still uh, winless on US soil and actually <laughs> they should continue their winless run. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, he, he's starting to sort of settle in a bit, isn't he? And he's starting to calm down. And, and, you know, there's obviously only a limited amount you can do when the team is obviously as bad as it is. But some of the throws he was making looked really polished and looked like a guy who's been in the league for several years. I, the, the one he threw to Marvin Jones in the, in the end zone for the touchdown was was sublime that was a that was a hell of a throw um you know so I, he's he's starting to settle down and that's good to see i think i think a lot of the rookies are starting to sort of bed themselves in and learn their offenses and that was it was always going to take time um so it'd be you know I think if they're obviously going to get themselves another high draft pick. I don't think anyone's denying that. You know, add to that line, and if they can protect him a little bit more uh, and give him some more time in the pocket, I think you know they could. They've definitely, obviously, got the answer at quarterback. I don't think there's any denying that. Um, and I think Jacksonville, it, the the only issue that they do have is is what's going to happen at head coach because this what this win has done is swept a lot of that stuff under the carpet and it's sort of silenced a lot of a lot of things because now they they're talking on the field and they've they've actually made it work and they've come over here and a really impressive win against like you said Callum a, a Miami team that that a lot of people would have suggested that you know there was no way that Miami was going to lose this game and now here we are Miami are one and five. And as as a as a supporter of the team that owns Miami's first overall pick next season, I'm You're I'm welcome. literally I'm rubbing my hands together, thinking I I thought Miami's pick might be in the range of like sort of twenty to twenty five, you know, somewhere around there. And the fact that it could be top five is is insane to me. So whilst you're as you're on the pod and you're a Miami fan, I wanted to ask a couple of questions, like I did with Dave in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago. Is I saw someone tweet last week, one of the NFL analysts said that. Um, Tour isn't the problem, but he's also not the answer. Is is that fair? Is that a fair assessment? Do you think that that Tua is still not really the answer to Miami's issues? I think that's definitely a fair statement so far. There there is an argument that you know he hasn't played a full season. You know yeah. he's he's had injuries. He's been in and out. Um, is there an argument that those injuries are maybe showing he's a little bit too fragile? Yeah, you could make that argument as well. Um, I, I'm not ready to jettison him or abandon the project yet. I think there are 100% issues around him. I yeah. like Miles Gaskin. I think he can be a good running back, but he is not an elite running back. Um, and not having a running game to support that quarterback can be problematic. Um, I think that Waddle is a huge addition to the passing game and really gives him a second target alongside the Gasickis and the uh, and uh, and the Parkers of the world. So I guess a third target. Um that we didn't have previously. Um, and, you know, I think last season we relied heavily on the defence to bail us out. And to put it bluntly, so far they they haven't done that. Um, there's, there's multiple reasons for that. You know, it's very hard to play defence in the NFL and it's very hard to be consistent. Um, I the, the problem with Tua, and, you know, it's kind of, it's similar to Bears fans who are trapped in the the ultimate hell of, I know he's not even there anymore, but we drafted Trubisky instead of, you know, Mahomes or Watson. And, you know, for, for Dolphins fans, we're now forever tied to the successes of the LA Chargers. 
because Justin Herbert was there. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that I was saying draft Herbert, draft Herbert, draft Herbert. But there was discussion about was Tua the right fit? Was Tua undersized? Did you want a left-handed quarterback or was Herbert the guy? Um, and I think those questions have been answered by Herbert, um, that he can be the guy. Uh, I know he had a down week, as I'm sure we'll talk later on. Um, but you don't have anybody questioning Justin Herbert's ability to be a quarterback in the NFL, whereas you do still have with Tua. Correctly so. I think yeah. he did play well on Sunday, honestly. Um, he had one egregious error, which was obviously the interception. Um, but he was trying to find Waddle on a route that I like the look of. Um, and I want him to take chances and throw the ball down the field. I, I don't want us to be four yards here, four yards there. We need chunk plays that you've got to have them to try and win games in this league. So it, it's difficult. He's not the answer. I agree with you and that statement that you said, but he could still be the answer. The question is, how long are we able to wait? So just, just quickly to finish off before we move on. So let's let's say, for example, let's say the Dolphins go like 5-12, and 12, for example. You know, they, yep. they have a, 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 a what would be, by all standards, an awful season. Is that it for the Brian Flores experiment? Because Brian Flores last season was this renowned coach that was doing great things and looked like he was really leading this Miami team. If, if that's, the, let's say you go down that route, like around the 5-12 and 12 mark, what what happens to him? I don't think on five and twelve it would be the end of the Flores experiment. No, I think you know, God forbid, one and sixteen. Yes, yeah. but I do think that I, do, I think there's a line, is what I'm trying to say. I, I yeah. do think that um, Flores has enough goodwill that he could have a down year and still deserve one more, if that makes sense. I think in those situations, yeah. it's also very important to see what happens in the locker room. Because Gosh. if you have a down year and the team is still sticking together and just losing games, you can lose close games. It can happen. Um, if if he sticks together and the team is still supporting him and, and still feel like they're bought in, then I then I would give uh, you know Flores another year for sure. Once you get into kind of a couple bad years, you you start worrying about Adam Gase syndrome and then you, you have to move on. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do think that Flores has enough goodwill in the bank that even a, I'd probably say a four-win season is the cutoff, but you would really... I, I looked at our schedule earlier today and I still think that we we should get to seven wins. The schedule does yeah. ease up. It really yeah. does after looking yeah. at it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Fingers crossed for Miami. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I not, fully not from yeah, our perspective. Yeah. I would like them to lose as many yeah. games as possible. <laughs> and I would love Trey Lance to be a complete bust, and the 49ers to continue to to fail to win games, and then we own the 49ers pick, and and therefore we still somehow have a first round pick. Um, but yeah, I I I think you might be uh, pleasantly surprised where your additional draft pick falls next year, Steve. Yeah, it's certainly trending in that direction, isn't it? Let's move on to one of the other contenders in that AFC East division. Let's talk New England, who put up a hell of a show, I thought, in the late window. Quite a few blowouts on this weekend, but this one certainly wasn't a blowout. And certainly many people may have thought it could have been heading into it. But I think what we saw was the continuation of Mac Jones getting better and better as the season progresses. He's been very, very quiet after a pretty decent pre-season where he gained a little bit of hype and traction. It's kind of quietened down, but it's seemingly starting to pick up a little bit of steam um, as the season progresses. Um, but in terms of this one, the 
Cowboys offensively. Dak Prescott, 51 attempts, 445 yards with three touchdowns. I mean, Steve, I know you hate giving them praise, but it seems that week after week we have to continue to do so. Yeah, yeah, I can't really avoid it to be honest. And uh, you know, I'm I'm still very much on the bandwagon of the Cowboys have been the most overhyped team of the last 25 years, and they will continue to be. But this season, they are they are continuing to to quieten the doubters every every week. And you know, Dak Prescott when he signed that giant contract, what is it, 45 million dollars a season? He's in, he's being paid. Um, I remember thinking, wow, of all the te- of all the players, you could pay that amount of money. You've paid Dak that money when he's got his glass ankle. Um, and yeah, he's he's quieting everyone down because look at that that stat line is insane. Um, 445 yards in, and the you know everything at the moment for Dallas is clicking, and it's just it oh, for Dallas. They'd probably be a shame that they're on a buy this week. Um, because they have got such momentum at the moment, they want to keep playing. They just want to keep rolling. When you, momentum's a massive thing in the NFL, we talk about it a lot. And when you are winning games, you just want to keep winning, keep playing, just keep you know, um, keep um, making those plays. And to take a, a, a week off might not be the best thing for them. But yeah, Dak was excellent. That again, I can't say enough about that one-two punch of Elliot and Pollard. They're just they're just so good together. And Elliot, you know, is beginning to look like the old Elliot. Um, that we used, we saw in his first couple of seasons in the NFL. He had a couple of down years where he looked like he was really trending downward, and and he's he's certainly coming back this year. Maybe that's because they're sharing the carries with Pollard. He's not being asked to be this sort of twenty-five rushes a game guy that he can't do because his 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 you know his body eventually will give up. Um, and their receivers, what a game for CD Lamb! Like you know, he was there last year in the draft. And they took him with that pick, thinking you know they already had a great wide receiver room. Um, and and he's paying dividends now. Like, I think that this could be a, a season for Dallas where the, one of these one of their receiving options is going to have to walk away next year because they're just not going to have the money to pay everyone. And it could end up being Amari Cooper. You know, he's he, he five targets, fifty five yards. It wasn't a dreadful stat line, but don't forget that um, Gallup's not playing at the moment. Um, so when he comes back in, where where does Amari Cooper fit into this when CD Lamb's playing as well as he is? Um, and I can't finish talking about Dallas without mentioning again the runaway candidate for this year's Defensive Player of the Year, which is Trayvon Diggs. Another interception. Insane. However, I will say that a lovely scheme from Bill Belichick to go straight back to him. Uh, after he'd already almost picked a guy, and then that that wonderful completion to um, was it Jacoby Myers? I think it was um, over Trayvon Diggs. Um, Kendrick Bond, sorry, thank you, Callum. Yeah, so yeah, uh, you know, a great scheming, but again, it didn't quite work because they did it. They they couldn't stay away from him, and he eventually made them pay with a, with a pick six. So, um, you know, cracking game on the New England side. I thought again, like you said, Mac Jones looking really polished. He's he's sort of really slotted into that that um, Belichick offense, and he and he looks. You know, it looks really calm and collected with his throws. Um, he made some really impressive throws in that game. And I think at the moment, what is lacking with New England is the weapons around him. And I think if you had one or two pieces in there, you know, maybe a, maybe a, an experienced receiver, you know, dare I say when they had him, someone like Antonio Brown, you know, put someone in that in that uh, receiving unit to maybe give them a bit of experience. Um, and, and I think he'd, he'd be, you know, putting up all kinds of numbers. Um, good game on the on the 
ground for Damian Harris as well. I know they were missing that last week um, and they probably should have won it. They probably really should have won the game. They left the door open just a little bit too much for Dallas to wait in overtime. But yeah, real cracker, real cracker. No one was really expecting it, I don't think, as well. So it's always nice when it's a surprise game. Yeah, no, I certainly wasn't expecting it. I think, like you say, I think that double-headed monster in the backfield. It's not just the rushes either, is it? You know, 17 carries for Elliott, 10 for Pollard. They also had 12 targets at the backfield in the passing game as well. So an all-round, you know, massively featured part of that Dallas unit. Callum, just get your opinion on these two teams before we move on. I know the preseason, you were certainly very high on Dallas. Um, and obviously you see a lot of New England in that division, like we said earlier with the Dolphins. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, 100%. I think the, the Cowboys are... Sadly for Steve, very, very, very legit and very, very good. Um, I, I, I have lived in Texas and I know that the Cowboys do tend to get overhyped and that does happen. I just happen to think this season um, is an example of one where the hype is is real and accurate. Um, in terms of that game, I think you're right. I think the, the Patriots really, from the position they were in, really should have seen it through. Um, they were unlucky not to win it in the end, but you get the ball first in overtime and you've got your destiny in your own hands and they didn't quite do enough with it. And and Dak and CD are making plays like that. And I have to say, I have a massive soft spot for CD Lamb waving goodbye to the cornerback as a celebration. I think that's fantastic. Um, and, you know, exactly the kind of uh, time to do a taunting because you can't get flagged for it after the game. Yeah. <laughs> <time>. um, <laughs> Secondly, um, I did just want to touch on what Steve was saying about the Cowboys' wide receiving core. Um, in, in in my mind, I would think that Gallup is the one that you let walk away. Or are you suggesting that because Gallup is is younger and perhaps a, a newer a newer piece that that it would be wise to to let Cooper go? I think Cooper's Cooper's on twenty million a year. I think on a five year deal. So I think that money they can just. I think they could probably eat that up and and you know get him out of the building. And you know they've got CD Lamb on a rookie contract. I think Gallup is still on a rookie contract as well, if I'm right. So I think they probably need to with Dak's contract. They probably need to move some resources around. So I think naturally from a cap perspective. Cooper probably pays the price. Um, I wouldn't surprise me if he does. Um, I'm not saying he's a bad receiver, but you know, no, 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 yeah. in the NFL. Um, so that yeah, that was my reasoning, I think. And and just a quick follow-up on that, would you advocate the same for keeping Tony Pollard and moving Ezekiel on Elliott on? Because I think Zeke's in great shape this year and has looked more like his old self. But every time Pollard touches the ball, there's electricity. Oh, absolutely. And he looks like the sort of main back at the moment. But you, I think you don't get Pollard's success without Elliot's contribution. And they are working together in harmony so well. And I know, Sean, you mentioned last week that the best one-two punch in the NFL from the backfield at the moment in, is in Cleveland. I think Dallas would really give them a run for their money at the moment. Um, I think that that running back room is that they're just working so well together. And and I was that, you know, I, I, I've made my feelings on running backs very clear in the past. I don't believe you pay them and I don't believe that you draft them as high as Dallas did or New York did with, with Barkley as well, because it's such a lot of draft capital for a position that's so injury prone as well um but you know again Elliot's contract is massive do you do you move on from him and pick up a draft a guy in the draft to compliment Pollard in the same way that Elliot's complimented him maybe I, I don't know it's, it, there's going to be some tough cap questions for Dallas coming down the down the pipeline um but I, I you know enjoy it while it lasts for now this season Dallas fans for sure 
Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Yeah, some interesting decisions, but uh, certainly in win now mode and uh, looking very, very good, aren't they? Indeed. Let's move on, fellas, to I give you the most confusing team in the National Football League, the Tennessee Titans, who managed to lose to the New York Jets one week, then struggled to wins that you think they would easily go and get. And then, you know, nobody probably gave them a prayer last night against supposedly the hottest team in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills, who were coming in off the back of a four-game win streak of their own. Obviously, it was very impressive at the back end of last year as well. But Tennessee get it done behind the King once more. Um, another three-touchdown night for Derrick Henry. Callum, you said you've watched this one in the uh, the small hours of this morning. So, uh, what was your thoughts on this one, buddy? Yeah, I mean, Derek Henry is just absolutely unstoppable. I mean, you, that's three games in six this year that he's had three touchdowns in a game. So the the man is, is absolutely unstoppable. And Tennessee's hopes really rest on him and their offenses li- offensive line's ability to create holes for him. He's a really interesting case because there are, there are so many runs where he gets bottled up. And you wonder, how does someone that explosive, that big and that powerful get stopped for a one-yard gain? And quite often, it's just a mass of bodies. And that was nothing. There was no more clear evidence of that than the first five carries he had last night. The first four carries for eight total yards. The fifth, 75 yards and a touchdown. He is a battering ram, and rightly so, the Titans lean on him. You're right. You're right to call them confusing Sean I think there are a couple other teams that I might challenge for the crown of most confusing um but the Titans are are baffling in in a number of ways um Ryan Tannehill has games where he looks like he's figured it all out and then Ryan Tannehill has games where he looks like he's back in Miami with Adam Gase and you you can't really put your finger on it um Julio Jones and AJ Brown should be a wonderful one-two punch but neither of them seem to be able to stay healthy Anthony Ferkser was an unbelievably productive backup tight end behind Jonu Smith Jonu Smith's left, and now Ferkser doesn't seem to get the ball. It's it's very confusing. Um, and I say that as a bitterly scorned person who drafted Ferkser in a number of fantasy leagues. Um, but overall, it, it was a massive win for Tennessee. And to get it done, ironically, with their defense, which has often been very maligned. Now, they were fortunate that Josh Allen kind of slipped as he was trying to convert the fourth and one right at the end. I think it tells you a lot about uh, Sean McDermott that he wants to try and win that game rather than play for overtime. And to be honest with you, I absolutely love that. The Bills will be just fine. The Bills are going to walk their way. They could sleepwalk their way to the AFC East. They could play Diggs a quarterback and Josh Allen a wide receiver and they'd win the AFC East. Um, But I I think the Titans will be pushed a little bit by the Colts in the uh, AFC South. But I don't think there's any real stress on on Tennessee's plate in terms of winning the division. They will, they will run literally behind Den, Derek Henry and uh, and take that title. Derek Henry so far has 783 rushing yards this season. If you average that out per game, it's 130 and a half yards a game. When if you if you put that in 17 games, he will rush for 2,218 yards this season, which is just unbelievable. The guy's insane. I was 
talked to a friend about him earlier, and not only it's not only is it crazy how much of a unit he is and how much of like a walking fridge he is, but he's also just got such an acceleration about him. Like there's that play where he rushed through and he rushed the, the 75 yarder. He was outrunning a cornerback. They just couldn't keep up with him. Like his his turn of pace is insane. And whenever Henry plays well, generally the Titans play well. But like you say, like you say, Callum, like sometimes Tannehill has games, and sometimes it's just you sort of look at him and go, is you is the ghost of Tannehill's Miami past coming back to haunt him? Like, he just can't quite seem to figure it out. I, I agree that I think they probably will win that division um, because the Colts have started so poorly. Um, but, you know, I, I, do they go much further than maybe a wild card or, or, or a divisional game? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I would like to just quickly mention, though, Julio's catch from the deflection off the yeah. helmet, which was uh, unbelievable. If you haven't seen it, just watch that catch where he dives and manages to keep two feet on the ground and catches the ball. It's insane. So, uh, yeah, definitely worth it for that. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree that Buffalo, this was a, the shock of the week, I think, for most people. Um, I had I was high on Buffalo going maybe maybe like 15-2, and 14-3, and three, and this was a a, a, tea, a win that i thought was in the bag and and evidently not um but i think it's good to to not just coast your way to to 15 wins because these types of losses keep you to the ground and well this will wake them up a bit and go okay well maybe we can't beat every team 43 nothing every single week you know maybe we do need to play a bit more smart football and you know the fact that he put up 353 yards excuse me and three touchdowns and still didn't win the game tells you that maybe it wasn't Josh Allen's fault and perhaps it was the defence that, that unfortunately came up a bit short this week for, for Buffalo. Yeah, both teams moved to four and two. I agree with Callum. I think both teams are going to comfortably walk to their respective divisional titles though. So that may well be a game we see again in January um, and obviously keeping the king quiet will be the challenge for Buffalo if it does roll around again in the postseason. Talking of players and getting up to speed, let's speed things up a bit, fellas, and go through the rest of the slate from week number six. Get caught up with all of the results and a bit of snap reaction to each of them. Steve, you've got to cast your mind back a fair bit, mate, to last Thursday night, but your boys kicked it off, Philly and Tampa. Yeah, Philly brought it back a little bit and made it closer than it actually was. Um, Tampa's offense stuttered a little bit in the second half, but this could have been 40-plus points for Tampa. The Phillies' offense was absolutely nowhere to be seen. So many three-and-outs in the first half. They just couldn't get anything going. Um, Jalen Hurts ended up having two rushing touchdowns himself. Uh, the usage of Miles Sanders continues to be a bit of an enigma in Philadelphia. Um but, you know, still encouraging to see Quez Watkins and Devonta Smith emerge as, as, as useful offensive targets. Uh, meanwhile, in Tampa Bay, um, the story of Tampa Bay seems to be they keep losing key players to injury, but they keep knocking down teams and picking up results. Tom Brady just rolls on and, you know, they uh, their rushing game was, was unstoppable. Um, the Eagles could not stop the rush. Um, so in the end, uh, uh, the scoreline flattered the Eagles. It probably should have been a bit more convincing for Tampa Bay, but they move on to 5-1 and one and look pretty undefe- uh, unbeatable at the moment. They do indeed. Callum, let's move on to yourself. Probably the tightest game of the early window on Sunday. Panthers, Vikings went to overtime, went the way of Minnesota. And this is my nomination for most confusing game and teams of in the league. Um, I can't get a read on either of these two teams. I can't figure out if they're good or if they're bad. 
I, I'm not a Kirk Cousins guy generally, um, but the Vikings have so much talent around him that I think he, it can kind of just about work. Conversely, the Panthers started out 3-0, and largely on the back of their defense and Sam Darnold being a rushing quarterback out of nowhere. Um, and this game was weird. You know, it was back and forth. And then the, the Panthers had their big comeback and got the two-point conversion and finally remembered that Robbie Anderson was on their team and, and threw him a touchdown and got it to overtime. And then you kind of think that all the momentum is with Carolina. And then the NFL's overtime rules uh, bite you in the bum and, uh, and KJ Osborne walks it off for the Vikings. So I, I'm not convinced that the Vikings are going to push Green Bay in the NFC North. Um, I, I think that there's there's holes in that defense. And I, again, I just really don't trust Kirk Cousins when, when the chips are down and it really matters. Um, and for Carolina, I think they will be squabbling with the Saints uh, for second place in the NFC South um, because I think Atlanta are really bad and the Buccaneers, as much as I don't want them to be, are just too good for anybody in that division. Yeah, completely agree, mate. Completely agree. Let's move on to a team that I can certainly figure out, and I hate to say it, arguably the best team in the NFL at the minute. The Baltimore Ravens moved to 5-1. and one. What happened to the Chargers? What on earth happened to the Chargers? Austin Eckler, 6 carries, 7 yards. Joshua Kelly, 4 carries, 7 yards. Mike Williams, the big play guy, 2 receptions for 27 yards. God knows what happened to the Chargers' offence, and... Fair play to Baltimore. You know, I'll talk a little bit about injuries that other teams have had. No team has had as much probably as Baltimore, but no one's talking about it because the five and one they've lost their entire running back room. Look at this for some rushing performance this weekend. Lamar Jackson, fifty-one yards. Devonta Freeman, fifty-three yards. Latavius Murray, forty-four yards. It doesn't matter who's carrying the ball; they are getting some production out of that ground game. Absolutely dominated time of possession. Dominated it to the tune of thirty-eight minutes to twenty-one. Um, yeah, just an absolute cakewalk for the Ravens. They move impressively to five and one, and ominously. Like I say, doing so with a huge number of people um, on the injury list as well. So that team will only get stronger as it gets healthier. Steve, let's move to you. Another team that looked good this weekend. The Rams back to business. Absolutely trouncing the Giants. The Rams continue to march on after their after their loss to, to Arizona. Um, and I think that uh, they... You know, they are as good as any team in the NFL right now. Um, Matt Stafford, his no-look pass was a thing of beauty um, and had another really impressive game. 251 yards, four touchdowns, um, had a passer rating of 128.7, which is far more than could be said of his opposite number, Daniel Jones, who went 29 for 51, uh, zero touchdowns, three interceptions, four sacks, had a QBR rating on ESPN of (laughs) 6.4. Uh, which is not great at all. Um, this New York team have unfortunately been succumbed to a lot of injuries. Sa- uh, Saquon Barkley didn't play in this game. Uh, Kadarius Tony had a bit of a breakout game last week, um, was forced off after only three in- three receptions for 36 yards, looked really promising at the start of the game, and that's go off through injury and was, was ruled out pretty early on. Um, but even that, even with that considered, this New York team looks... Uh, a shambles right now. Um, a lot of people in New York starting to call for, for heads of 
maybe Gettleman, maybe Judge, who knows. Um, but yeah, for what what seemed to be a, a promising off season and a lot of hyperball around New York, it seemed to be a very insular hyperball because they are still just as dreadful as they were last year and years before. Um, but yeah, the Rams moved to five and one. I don't see where their next loss comes from. Likewise, the Giants moved to one and five. I don't see where their next win comes from. <laughs> Fair dues, mate. A fairly, fairly good way to wrap that one up. Callum, let's move across to you. It took a few weeks, but this is the Houston Texans we all thought we were going to see. Absolutely walloped by the Colts, mate. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I mean, the Texans are really, really, really bad. Um, and I say that as somebody who has a number of friends who are diehard Houston Texans fans. And it's uh, difficult to have to tell them that their team is awful. Um, I feel extremely sorry for Brandon Cooks, who deserves better. Um, he is still somehow making himself relevant by catching eight plus passes every single week. Um, it's it's funny that the, the Texans have almost tried the same idea as the Ravens in terms of filling a running back room with cast offs from other teams. But whereas the Ravens have filled it with the best running backs from 2016, the Texans have filled it with mediocre running backs from 2019 in Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, David Johnson, and Rex Burkhead, which is just a strange way to try and uh, build a running back room. Um, they've, they've, they've got absolutely no hope. And, you know, it's similar to um, what Steve just said about the Giants. I mean, the only reason that the Texans might win another game is that they have to play the Jaguars again. Um, and that's the only reason they're not going 0-17 is that they got the Jaguars before Urban had really put his stamp on that organisation. Um, so... Yeah, I, 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 I was happy for the Colts to get another win, but, you know, it was um, about of an easy as a, as a, as a pick um, that the Colts were going to get that win as anything else. I need to mention Jonathan Taylor, who's obviously having a superb time right now. Um, and it was really good to see T.Y. Hilton back on the field, though I do think he left the game with an injury late on, so hopefully that's not too serious. Um, but I do, I will always love T.Y. for his... Uh, his celebrations and partnership with Andrew Luck a few years ago. So, um, yeah, good for the Colts. The Texans are terrible. I think it's really kind of starting to hot heat up in terms of potential Deshaun Watson trade time. Um, obviously, um, I think it's very clear how I'm sure most, if not all, logical people feel about the Deshaun Watson situation right now. Um, it's a it's a very difficult thing to, to try and uh, discuss. Um, and I am petrified that my team is going to make a trade offer for him. Um, and I will have to try and figure out how to deal with that. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Trade deadline two weeks, I think it is. So, yeah, we'll uh, keep you posted on anything that happens there. Um, Kansas City back to business. We said it was probably the ideal game for them, the Washington football team. Yeah, again, giving up more than 30 points on defence, as again, we predicted last week that they would do. Um, quite possibly, seemingly the most overhyped unit heading into this season. Uh, they moved to two and four, Chiefs to three and three. There's probably been more talk after the game about Patrick Mahomes' family. Um, than there has been about the game itself, which probably shows you how uncompetitive it was. The halftime scoreline was fairly tight, but the Chiefs scored 21 unanswered in the second half to comfortably run out winners in this one. Um, you know, a couple of nice throws from Mahomes that you've probably seen from multiple different angles across his body and all the rest of it. Of course, people will have you believe he's the only quarterback ever to walk the earth that he's capable of making those throws. Unfortunately, we will have to live with that for the next 10 years as he's the face of the NFL. Um, 
but certainly back to business for the Chiefs um, and Washington. Lots and lots of questions to answer. Um, lots and lots of questions to answer. They look an absolute shell of the team that closed out the previous season relatively strongly. Um, and similarly to what you just said about the Giants there, it's difficult to actually look and see where wins are coming from for this team. Two and four, if the alarm bells aren't already ringing, they certainly should be very, very soon indeed. Next one on the slate. Steve, Green Bay and Chicago. I still own you. I still <laughs> own you. Uh, there is nothing better than the... Chris Long summed it up, that Aaron Rodgers is like the WWE heel of the Chicago Bears. He absolutely loves it. And I think at all t- he is at all time, um, I think, 11-3 and three against the Bears in soldier field um which is just fantastic and uh, that celebration was just fantastic because he's not taunting the players he's not going to get a penalty for taunting other opponents he's taunting an entire stadium of fans oh absolutely love it uh you know great performance from from rogers actually ran in for that touchdown uh which you don't see too often um uh, and you know this green bay team just rolls on just a, a confident machine that 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 shows that that week one loss was just a blip of of week one. You know, Josh often says that week one is a mulligan and everyone gets a, the week one result because nothing really matters. And uh, it just showing this Green Bay team have, 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 since week one have, have, have been perfect um, and, and just keep rolling on. And it does make you wonder what's going to happen in the off season and all of that talk with um with Aaron Rodgers before the season of him potentially moving on and then it's settling all of the issues and then coming back and playing it's all been swept on the carpet now everyone's forgotten that now now that the Green Bay are rolling so yeah um I think Green Bay will stroll to this divisional title I don't think anyone's going to challenge them again um much like Callum was saying about the Vikings the Bears flattering to deceive they're three and three again Matt Nagy's time is probably going to be up at the end of this year but we've been saying that for about four seasons so who knows um their defense seems to bail them out of games occasionally when they're up against a team that's not quite good enough. But unfortunately, when they play a good team, they don't have enough on offense to to make it count. Um, so I think this Chicago team will be around the 500 mark. It doesn't, uh, I think they might finish above Minnesota, but who knows? Flip a coin for those games. Um, but yeah, Green Bay rolls on. Callum, let's come back to you. Detroit, Cincinnati. Detroit have been punchy in most games recently. Typical when people give them a bit of a squeak and a bit of a sniff of an opportunity, they get blown out big style. Big win for the Bengals. Yeah, I'll tell you one team that isn't finishing about the Vikings, and it's uh, the Detroit Lions. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I like Dan Campbell. I I think he's got a nice spirit about him. I think he is giving the Lions an identity, and I think something that we all maybe suspected when they made the Stafford trade is that Jared Goff probably doesn't fit that identity. Um, and I wasn't surprised to see to see uh, Campbell calling out Goff in the aftermath of this game. I think that the Lions are, are genuine contenders for an 0-17 right now. Um, I, I, would, I would hope that doesn't happen, but it's it's hard to see them picking up an in-division win unless Matt Nagy really tries hard to throw the second game against them away. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, the Lions, there's not a lot of hope for them there. Um, as far as Cincinnati go, I, one of the surprise packages of the season so far, I did have a, a preseason take that I thought the Steelers could maybe be the lowest, the worst team in the AFC North. And that might well come to fruition here if the Bengals can do their job in division. Um, it's 
it's not surprising and it's great to see the Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, you know, partnership rekindled from the LSU days. Um, but Joe Mixon's doing doing the business as well, uh, former Sooner running back. He's uh, he's really coming into his own. The Bengals' big question mark has always been Zach Taylor as a head coach. Um, but you could argue that this is kind of the first time that he's had potentially a competent team all round. And their defense isn't playing too bad either. You, you know, the Lions were shut out until relatively late in the fourth quarter. Um, when Dan Campbell decided to kick a field goal down 28 points or whatever, which is always quite embarrassing. Um, but just to get on the board, and I think they got a swift touchdown late on to make it slightly less embarrassing. But um, no, I like the Bengals. Um, they're a team I enjoy watching. And, you know, they push, they push the Packers all the way, which is more than some teams are going to be able to say this year. So I think the Bengals are a surprise package. I think they probably fall short of the playoffs, but I think they flirt around the, the, winning, the winning season mark. Yeah, no doubt about that. They're certainly, uh, certainly playing well. Certainly playing better than another team in the AFC North, which brings me on to my uh, weekly Cleveland Browns little section of the podcast. So, yeah, Browns, Cardinals, very one-sided. Um, really was worried when the injury report came out in terms of the Browns' two tackles, particularly with the banged-up quarterback, and it is showing, and it is showing big style. Um mentioned the Ravens earlier, so I'm not looking for any sympathy, and I won't get any sympathy, so I'm certainly not searching for it. The injury report is a laundry list at the minute. Kareem Hunt now onto IR, Jeremiah Awusu Koromoa onto IR, Jarvis Landry still on IR, no sign of the tackles playing, and Baker Mayfield essentially playing with one arm. Um, it's not great. I was full of optimism pre-season. It almost feels like last season, San Francisco 49ers, where they were expected to potentially go back to the Super Bowl after a great run the year previously. Um, big things were expected of the Browns after an 11-5 and season and actually looking for the first time to have a competent coaching staff, etc., etc. Um, but it really has not gone well. Let's talk Cardinals briefly, and then, Callum, I'm sure you're going to quiz me on something Cleveland. Um but in terms of the Cardinals, look, they looked every bit a six and outside. Um, very, very impressive performance. DeAndre Hopkins probably still arguably the best receiver in the league. And when your complementary options are AJ Green, who looks revitalised in a new uniform, Rondell Moore, a really exciting rookie, and if Christian Kirk's your fourth option, I mean, boy, oh boy, that's a that's a fairly decent unit. James Connor ran hard as well. Um, he was impressive enough. Um, and defensively, look, JJ Watt was probably always going to have his best game as a Cardinal against those fifth choice backup tackles. Um, but he did the job. Um, did the job well. Got Baker down on the ground a couple of times. Forced a couple of fumbles, and yet yeah, wasn't a pretty day. Not the thing I wanted after a four-hour journey home from London to come back to. Um, and yeah. Thursday night football, not a great week for a short turnaround. But go on, Callum, I'm sure you're dying to ask me something, man. Well, I, I, I'm, you're going to get sympathy from me. I, I'm a fan of the Browns. I enjoy the Browns. I'm a big Baker guy. The, I think the question for me is really looking out for those uh, listeners and viewers of ours who maybe are into their fantasy football and maybe are desperate for a running back. And obviously with Nick Chubb now ruled out for Thursday and Kareem Hunt on IR, are we targeting Dearness Johnson or does Demetric Felton's kind of passing game expertise mean he's the guy that we should be going for on the waiver wire? I think in all likelihood, in terms of this week, it probably for me would be Demetric Felton. I think in terms of who's likely to get the bulk of the carries, 
possibly you would go Dearness Johnson, but based on the game plan for this week, um, you know, the first drive of the Browns saw no rushing attempts. I'm slightly concerned that that is the game plan, but I imagine it's going to be similar. I don't think either of the Browns' two tackles are going to go again on Thursday night. Neither have practised again today, although they haven't been ruled out. And I think that Dimitri Felton will probably get more work, possibly based on game script, possibly based on the fact that, you know, dare I say, that the Browns may be playing from behind again in this one. It's it's really difficult. I mean, I'm normally the most optimistic Browns fan going. Steve will tell you that. But even I am struggling for optimism this week when it comes to the Browns. Um, so, yeah, Felton I would probably take at a pinch this week. Um, although, you know, I think Nick Chubb will be back um, after this one because obviously the Browns effectively with a mini boy. Boy, do they need 10 days off to at least try and get healthy. Um, let's move on, fellas. Two more to finish off, and then we'll quickly touch on the rest of the week seven slate as well. So, Steve, talk to us about Denver, who we've just mentioned are the Browns opponents this week. They had a 30 feet in a row this time against Las Vegas. Just quickly, I would just say I cannot believe that Baker Mayfield didn't dislocate his shoulder. That when he went down with that sack for uh, from JJ Watt, his left arm was on the ground and his back just sort of twisted around. It looked horrible on the TV, and I can't believe he isn't more seriously injured than he is. So yeah, very lucky for him. Um, yes, but Denver, you know, uh, uh, Josh will be rubbing his hands together with his lack of trust in Denver when they were three and zero, and refusing to put them in the top half of the power rankings. Because boy, was he right! They are now three and three. I think they are another team that has suffered with the injury curse. Um, you look at their receiving core, and and you know they've lost so many options. Um, around the team in general, but Teddy Bridgewater had such a sort of Jekyll and Hyde game, um, you know, 35-49, 334 yards, three touchdowns, but also three interceptions and five sacks, um, losing 25 yards. So he's, you know, he, with he, he, this is Bridgewater. This is what you get with Bridgewater. He's not, a, he's not going to be a top 10 guy, but he's also not the worst in the league. And that is the, the, three touchdowns and three interceptions just shows you how sometimes he can be the best of both worlds, unfortunately for Denver. Um, and they probably would have been, you know, quite looking forward to going, uh, playing Las Vegas after the, the turmoil in Las Vegas last week that we touched on. But we said at the, at the time, you know, maybe the, the Raiders can use that as fuel to, to unite and play together and have a, a team performance. And boy, did they, you know, they looked, they looked excellent and they put everything behind them. You know, all of the issues off the field last week, they just put it all behind them and, and played a really good game. And if it wasn't for a, for a late touchdown for Denver, this game would have been much further out of um, out of Denver's reach than it looked. Um, you know, Derek Carr played well, 341 yards, two touchdowns, had a 134.4 passer rating. Um uh, Henry Ruggs had a bit of a breakout game um, with a long reception of 48 yards. Um, you know, so this, the, you know, this Vegas team showing that they're not done and dusted yet. They go to four and two and make things very, very interesting in that division. Um, with with Kansas City now back to three and three, uh, with the Chargers losing as well that we've touched on, they got shut out. Um, so there's two teams at four and two, and there's two teams at three and three. What a fascinating division. So, um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how that plays out for the rest of the season. I think the Raiders will start to fall away a little. I think they will finish with a positive record, but maybe sort of the, the sort of 10 and 7, 9 and 8 mark around that sort of level. Um, but, I, you know, I think this Denver team is in trouble if these injuries keep stacking up. They need to get some players back and quick. 
Yeah, now that feeling will, mate. Now it will. Callum, round us off. Pittsburgh, Seattle, close the week and Sunday night football. First action for Geno Smith in a few years. But Pittsburgh ultimately get the job done in overtime. Yeah, when NBC was scheduling their uh, Sunday night football slate, I don't think they had Geno Smith against Broken Ben in mind. But, um, you know, that's where they that's where they ended up. Um, I feel bad for Seattle. They're a team that I like. They're a fan base that I like. Um, I feel bad for Geno. He seems like a perfectly nice guy. Twice in a week now, based on when he was interjected into the game last week against the Rams. Um and then this one against the Steelers. He's had the ball with a chance to drive down and, and potentially win the game um, and turned it over. TJ Watt, that's what he does. You know, you you can't really be annoyed at Gino for losing that fumble. It's it's great defensive play. Um, but the Seahawks are are, are in, a, in a bit of a pickle. Um, it's not a coincidence. They, they've been linked with Cam uh, Newton this week. Um, I think, I feel like if they were going to do that, they would have done it already. If they didn't believe in Gino, I think they would have made that move already um, based on the fact that Gino has been there for a number of years now behind Russ prepping for this. Um, and, you know, away at Pittsburgh is not an easy fixture for him to kind of start with. Um, though, sadly, with the Seahawks schedule, it doesn't get that much easier generally. Um, when you're in the NFC West, it never will. Um, the game itself, I mean, Najee Harris continues to show why he's going to be a superstar in this league for decades to come. Um, I'm a big Chase Claypool guy. Um, nice to see him getting more involved in, in in the Steelers' offense as well. You do just wonder if the Steelers had a slightly younger quarterback, maybe they would be able to go somewhere this season. Um, and I know Sean won't be sad to, to hear that the end of the Big Ben dynasty has come. Um, but it really does feel like he is... They're almost rolling him out there on a walker to 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 sit in the pocket and 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 uh, and throw passes down the field, often inaccurately. Right now, um, I wonder what the rushing line for Ben's yards for the season is. I wouldn't be surprised if it was two or three for the year because he's not going anywhere fast. It looks like he's running in concrete shoes. Um, I think the Steelers will because of the quality of the coach that Mike Tomlin is, not embarrass themselves this year. And they have, their defense has some nice pieces. Um, but I think they will be right around the, at best, 8-9, and 9-8 nine, nine and eight record season. I think, you know, Tomlin's never had the losing season, I believe, and I'm sure that's a streak he wants to continue. Um, but if there's going to be a year where that happens, it, it's this year. Um, as for Seattle... Uh, I took their win total over in a number of season-long bets, which I would really like to win. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hope that Seattle can get it together. Um, but the sooner that Russ gets out of that fake huddle he was running and into and back into the real one, um, the better for the Seahawks because they they really do need him. Um, I wanted to touch on DK Metcalf and Shannon Sharp going at it on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this, um, but Shannon Sharp was attacking DK Metcalf, which... I actually, I actually didn't disagree with the point that Shannon Sharp was making. I think DK should have probably gone out of bounds, but I also do appreciate someone trying to make a play for their team. Um, I thought it was a strange kind of beef to get into between the two of them because they're both fairly, you know, very, obviously Sharp is a very, very talented NFL Hall of Famer, right? Um, and uh, and I think DK Metcalf has proven that he's an elite receiver in this league as well. So a bit of a strange one that, that that's what happened, but... Um, I like that DK is willing to stand up for himself in a, in a public domain. I, I want more of that from my superstar players in the league. 
I don't I don't want people hiding behind uh, hiding behind a mask of anonymity and then all of a sudden becoming a social media genius 15 years into your career like Tom Brady. So um, I, uh, I I'd rather DK Metcalf was out there saying things with his chest. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see if that starts a bit of a trend now. I think a few more players are snapping back at some of these so-called experts, aren't they? So we'll uh, we'll wait and see how that transpires throughout the course of the season. That was week six. We'll quickly touch week seven. We're not going to release a separate podcast this week, like I said, with Josh on holiday and other commitments that we have all got this week. And to be honest, it just one of those things. It hasn't necessarily worked out as a great slate of games, unfortunately. Mentioned it already, Broncos opens up Thursday night football, really a battle of the two reserves sides. Even as a Browns fan, I'm debating getting up at 20 past one on Friday morning to watch this one. Can't exactly uh, get overly excited about it. So that opens up the week. We've then, fellas, in the early window, got Packers and Washington, Giants, Panthers, Patriots, Jets, Titans, Chiefs, Ravens, Bengals, and Dolphins, Falcons. Steve, any of those in the early window? tickle your fancy yeah i think the titans chiefs will be an interesting one with titans coming off the back of a win against the seemingly um unbeatable bills and a chiefs team that is desperately trying to get to get back above a uh, 500 record um could the chiefs slip up again they 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 cannot seem to put together back-to-back wins this season and if they lose to the titans you've got to start asking questions about where this season is going to finish for kansas city um Meanwhile, the Titans look, you know, they're, they're going to keep trying to run the ball through Derrick Henry. And, um, uh, you know, you'd think that Ryan Tannehill will potentially have himself a pretty decent game with this one with that Chiefs passing defense the way that it currently is. Um, so, you know, this is one to arrowhead. It wouldn't surprise me if if um, if the Titans do manage to get there and win. Um, but I don't know if I want to call that just yet. <laughs> Callum, same question to you, mate, in that early window. I think probably Bengals, Ravens, possibly the one, certainly from a record standpoint, that probably stands out. Yeah, I think that's probably I, I think that's probably the second most uh, exciting behind uh, Steve's pick, obviously, of Chiefs and Titans. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Joe Burrow stands up against that, that Ravens defence. I remember Baker Mayfield really struggling with the Bengals defence in his early years. Um, with the Browns and I think you know Burrow needs to prove that he can win AFC North games if the Bengals are really going to be a success Uh, so that's one worth keeping an eye on Um, I will be deliberately not keeping an eye on the Dolphins against the Falcons Um, I think that it will be interesting to see just how many combined interceptions Zach Wilson throws against the Patriots and Daniel Jones throws against the Panthers um, because both of those two defenses will be circling um, and, uh, and, and ferocious um, and then, yeah, in in the late window, I want to see how many the Cardinals beat the Texans by because it could be 30, 40, 50 or more. Yeah, just to round out that light window. So um, other ones in the light window, Raiders and Eagles, Rams, Lions, Buccaneers, Bears. Yeah, Collins mentioned there, Cardinals, Texans. And then rounding out the week, your primetime games. Again, I don't think the schedule makers will be jumping for joy. The 49ers and the Indianapolis Colts is Sunday night football and the Seattle Seahawks, New Orleans Saints. Monday night, Steve, give you a chance to come back in as well. Any other games that uh, you'll be keeping a particular eye on? I mean, you've got two games in the late window that could potentially see two shutouts. Like the Rams are playing the Lions, and like you mentioned, Carl, the Cardinals are playing the Texans. Like there is a legitimate chance there that both of those games could be shutouts. They probably won't both be, but I wouldn't be surprised if both of those teams put up forty plus points each. Um, the Seahawks Saints is one of those games that 
you know, had you have looked at that at the start of the season, you think, oh yeah, that's going to be a real tasty game. But now you look at that and think, well, the Seahawks are down Russell Wilson and they've never, ever been down Russell Wilson, as we discussed last week. He's never missed a game. Um, and the Saints are a bit of a sort of, are they good? Are they not? Uh, who knows? But what is interesting is that this is week seven, which means that players can come back off PUP this week. And guess who's on PUP in New Orleans? Mm-hmm. Their star wide receiver. So it'd be interesting to see if Michael Thomas can come back and have an instant impact with Jimmy Swinston. Um, and you, we were talking about the Seahawks just uh, just previously. Their record, uh, sorry, their schedule does not get easy. Um, they've got a couple of games against this this Saints game, which is probably not an easy game, and then the Jaguars, and then they've got Packers, Cardinals, the football team, the Niners, Texans, maybe Rams, Bears, Lions, Cardinals. That is not an easy run of games. So, you know, if if Wilson misses some serious time. You've got to wonder where they pick up any more than sort of three or four wins from that lot, and uh, and dare I say it, a, a sort of six and eleven team for, for season for Seattle is absolutely not what any of us predicted at the start of this year. I need ten wins, Steve. I need ten. Come on. <laughs> well, I, I think Wilson will be back sooner than we expect. He's on yeah. IR, so he's another two weeks minimum out. But I think he will be back sooner than we anticipate. Geno Smith yeah. can be the Jaguars. I think if the Seahawks are going to do anything this season, they have to win on Sunday. I think yeah. they have to be New Orleans. And they could. I do think they could. But Sean Payton is a good enough coach to uh, coach his way around Geno Smith as well. Though I will say, Steve, I do think that your Eagles have a have a good chance of getting a win on uh, on Sunday against the Raiders, who, again, they got the new coach bounce. But similarly to the the Broncos, when the Raiders were 3-0, and uh, I was not a believer in them either, and I'm still not. So I, I, I like Jalen Hurts to, uh, to get a win for you on Sunday there. Yeah, I think that's going to be a bit of a tight one. I think it depends which Raiders show up. If it's the early season Raiders that show up, I think there'll be an absolute beatdown for Philadelphia. But Philadelphia have shown in spurts that they can play well this season. They just need to put it all together into one game. So it would be a real statement win to go out to Las Vegas and, and win that game. But I'm sure there'll be a lot of Philly fans that are making the trip that will be looking forward to that having a weekend in Las Vegas. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody's favourite away day now, mate. The Raiders, everyone's favourite away day. Right, boys, that wraps it up. It's been an absolute blast as always. Like I say, no sort of separate preview pod from us this week. Um, like I say, because of other commitments and Josh on holiday. So, like I say, hope you enjoy Romania, my friend. In the meantime, check out everything on the website, full10yards.com, including the Game Balls article from the brilliant Sean Tyler, up again for week six. I haven't really mentioned it much on tonight's podcast because we were trying to cram everything in. So go and check out the article, see if you agree or disagree with the players and the coaches and the plays that Sean has highlighted from week six is action. There'll also be plenty of other stuff as we get towards another weekend of action in terms of game previews and all of that kind of good stuff, as well as all of your regular college stuff from the boys over there. And make sure you check out Callum and all the lads on all of the socials on the uh, fantasy side of things as well. Looking forward to seeing who on earth gets picked as Dave's uh, fantasy captain for the Thursday showdown, Cleveland, Denver. My God, what a bevy of talent that man has to pick from. So I will certainly keep my eyes peeled to that one. Callum, it's been a blast, mate. Pleasure having you on. Look forward to having your company again at some point again throughout the season. Thanks, boys. Um, Appreciate it. Very happy to join you anytime. It's a, a great, a great chat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And Steve, as always, pleasure, my friend. We'll catch you next week.
it's been a pleasure. Uh, don't know if Josh is back next week yet, do we? So we might yet be be flying another guest. It might be another Geno Smith appearance for Callum. <laughs> it could well be. It could well be. But that's the good thing, all things full 10 yards. Plenty of us to have you covered. Plenty of us with plenty of passion and knowledge of the game. And I uh, hope you enjoy listening along with us. We'll be back next week. Until then, enjoy week seven. This has been the full 10 yards NFL podcast. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to find us on all our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Head over to our website, full10yards.com, where you can find out more information about why we are hashtag for the game. <laughs>